0: Andre, I'm, uh pleased to meet you. Uh, where exactly
1: are you based? Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Well, actually I'm based on the eastern Adriatic coast and we mostly study the coastline, the continental shelf of Bosnia-Herzegovina, Croatia, Montenegro, Slovenia and Albania, the former Yugoslav states, including one more, Albania.
0: Uh, Okay. I was just looking at your, um, your website, and there's, there's just something caught my eye. It, you describe yourself on the web as a scientist, biology professor, research diver, published author, awarded photographer, entrepreneur, traveler, and then right then you've got parachutist, which kind <laughs> yeah. of... Yeah. <you>? I'm, <laughs> I mean, I'm living a full life. <laughs> is, that, is that part of your work, or is that just fun?
1: The, the well, parachute. Actually, there. Yeah, it, it's actually for fun. Yeah, okay, I used to no. military parachuting school like eleven years ago. Oh, right, okay. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, excellent. It's one thing I've never wanted to do.
1: This, uh, really no <laughs> it, it, according to me it, it's a bucket list it's something you must do in your life ah,
0: okay okay now i've got a big bucket but that's not in it
1: <laughs> I, i'm so glad that i finished it after the high school because uh, this year i probably mm, with this age mm, um, better no <laughs>
0: yeah, no fair enough um just talking about your work um I've got here um You're dedicated to the understanding uh, or understanding the effects of pollution uh, and development of diseases in sharks.
1: Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yes, of course. Well, most of my studies are actually We we aim to understand and to make certain links between different sources of pollution, like the microplastics, the nanoplastics, the sanitary waste, medical waste during the COVID, uh, even the war waste with certain disease development, mostly in sharks, skates, and rays. Although we do a lot of different aquatic taxa in order to develop the specific conservation measures and also revitalization measures that we apply to the different uh, conventions on the regional scales, because we believe that only way to protect the the, the certain taxa, especially the species could be achieved on the unique, legal, regional protection. Because if one species is strictly protected in in one country and completely unprotected in neighboring, which is uh, quite often a scenario in the Mediterranean Sea, for example, then the conservation cannot be achieved at all. So we're trying to understand the pressures on the treated animals in order to be able to conserve them in more successful and precise ways.
0: And are you doing this on live, or dead animals?
1: uh, It depends. The field studies are conducted on live animals, but we only observe the different interactions in the water, while the laboratory studies are conducted only and exclusively on the bycatch, which is represented by already dead specimens. So we never kill nor harm any animals for the purposes of the studies. Right. So how do you get your
0: information from, from an animal? I mean, what's the process? of of looking for your data?
1: Yeah, well actually we we, uh, do the comprehensive uh, laboratory studies with our samples. It all begins with the macroscopic pathomorphology, so we observe the animal for any visible changes afterwards. We do x-rays and the CT scans. And then we do something we call the microscopic pathomorphology, which which is actually the histopathology. We cut different parts of the tissue of animals, stain them with different colors, and observe them under the microscope. So by the range of the cells in the tissue, we are able to tell the diseases, same as in the human pathology, of course. And besides, we are also working on the ingested microplastics and nanoplastics in the digestive system. So we cut certain parts of the digestive system. For example, in a shark, we do two parts of the stomach the Cardian pylorus, we do the duodenum, which is located in, in the beginning of the ileum of a sharp typhosolus, and we do the rest of the ileum and the column, and we separate them and try to understand which particles, which uh, fragments, pellets, filaments, or microplexes could be actually um, could stuck in, into the, the digestive system while we, which parts of microplastics could easily go through the digestive system. So what we found is quite disturbing and we are also working in uh, many different species, not only the demersal but also pelagic species, to understand the different um, breadth of, of plastic pollution in, in the ocean. So it's qu- it's quite comprehensive. Oh, I'm
0: sure, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure it is. So where's where your baseline data coming from? How how far back is data relevant to you to be able to refer to, to what you're saying to today?
1: Well actually um, we, we, we try to publish a lot of papers based from, from our studies. For example in the last uh, eight, no in the last nine years we published over, over 60 papers uh, from the studies across the Atlantic Ocean, and what we aim to do is we, we aim to actually have uh, as much uh, as much as statistical valid sample as we can. For example, when you're working with uh, deep sea species like the rope shark you know, beside my back, it's quite hard to uh, obtain the statistical valid sample. But we actually try to uh, contribute to the knowledge in any possible way to make the results uh, not only not only be published somewhere in, in scientific term like the peer-reviewed journal or the books that we work in each on but to actually make a tangible results in ecosystems to make um uh, changes in ecosystem that will that we will be able to observe in maybe next 10 years because if if, if, uh, if there is no positive changes from our results then our result is actually zero no matter the quality the papers and the projects and everything so that's we believe that we have to fight for the tangible results in the advancement of the ecosystems
0: yeah i was i was going to ask you you know, is is the future of the sharks, is, is that disappearing faster than you can gain useful research? I mean, is your research going to be in time, do you think?
1: Well, it, it's something that doesn't allow me to sleep at night, but um, mm-hmm. I'm afraid that uh, most of the researchers are actually not quite in time, because we're losing species on a daily basis, not only sharks, skates and rays, but we are losing the biodiversity on a daily basis. And while we are trying to discover the the plausible effects of pollution, the effects of fisheries, we are losing the species, even in the pandemics, because animals don't know about any sort of crisis, lockdowns, etc., and they are being endangered more and more day by day. So uh, especially when we're discussing the sharks, which are one of the most uh let's say great vertebrates and one of the longest living vertebrates we have like Greenland sharks that may live up to 400 years and get a sexually sexually mature at age 150 so if we catch all other species at that, that age that mature quite lately like with age 10 or 11 and we have, a number, uh, we have numerous numbers of sharks killed each year and this mathematics is quite bad when you study it, but I still believe that there is a hope and that we can actually contribute to the, to the survival of the species that are at the brink of the extinction, especially based on the human's fault.
0: Yeah, I think, I think most of it is human fault, is it not? It's, um, and so a lot, of, a lot of your work is Mediterranean-based yeah, yes. I mean, what is, what's the, what's the situation of sharks in in Mediterranean right now?
1: It's actually bad. It's bad because the Mediterranean had a lot of different countries and a lot of different political situations, which mean a lot of different governments and a lot of different regulations. And while certain species, as I said, are completely protected in one, they are un- unprotected in a neighboring country, they are uh, allowed to be cached, etc. There's no uh, protection, there are no revitalization measures. So we have very bad situation with some uh, pelagic shark and we have also a very bad situation with some demersal sharks, like the angel sharks, for example. But uh, Fortunately, in the past year, I'm, I'm leading the study for the angel sharks in the, in the Adriatic Sea, funded by Foundation Ensemble, and we have discovered a number of juveniles and subadults, which, uh, which is leading us to believe that they are some nursery grounds that we are exploring right now, and these are one of the best results we have in past 10 years, maybe. So yeah, I believe there is a hope for the Mediterranean sharks as well, but the situation is alarming.
0: Did the uh, did the COVID period help at all with? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I assume fishing now.
1: No. 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 <laughs> no it, yeah. No. No. It's it's it haven't been helpful at all. Especially because a lot of sanitary and medical waste have been dumped in the oceans by the COVID pandemic. So I think that it might just worsen the situation, not do any better. But uh, when we leave a certain ar- area with with. Uh, just a little human pressure, then the animals try to return to it and people falsely believe that it is uh, some kind of beneficial for animals, but actually things are quite worse with all these waste that is dumped in the ecosystems. Especially the masks, the personal protective equipment, the PPAs, it's all made of plastic, the single-use plastic, so it's, it's probably made the situation quite more worse.
0: Right, that's very sad to hear, but not unexpected by, by any means at all, of course. So, uh, all the information that you gather or your research, who does that go to? And then from there, how does it get to people who can actually make a difference?
1: Yeah, that's a very good question. I love this question because it's enabled me to explain the, the pathway we have in, in our work. It's First of all, we do the extensive scientific studies we publish a peer-review of papers, and then through, for example, the European, European Environmental Agency or the governments with the countries we are closely working on, we are trying to develop uh, or reinforce the existing legal measures. So we work closely with the government, with the policymakers, with the different stakeholders, the conventions even, to actually uh, try to um, put the results from our studies on the paper. But that, that's not all, because even if we manage to change Certain laws, as, as happened in certain Eastern Adriatic countries, those laws could only end up as a dead letter on the paper, if you know what I mean. So they didn't mean nothing. So we are trying to, in parallel with with the policy making we are highly involved in the rising awareness and wider public education because we believe that the, that the conservation actually starts with each of us and the people are really in need to understand all these uh, uh, why, the, why, the, why the conservation is urgent for many species and how they can personally contribute. So we work in parallel with the policy makers on the regional and the local scales and also with the wider public education and rising awareness. But results that we decimate from our studies goes to different governments, uh, policy makers. Even even sometimes we we try to change different conventions especially which are signed between the countries that are uh, others direct interest from our studies and for future conservations or we are trying to protect certain nursery or breeding grounds, we are trying to protect uh, certain species that are unprotected uh, or even some feeding grounds if they are very important for different species. So there are many different ways that we're trying to achieve the Long-Term Institute Preservation.
0: Mm. Yeah, who actually pays for your research?
1: Well, um, most of the research are actually funded by different, many different foundations. So, some studies are funded through National Geographic Society, some studies are funded through the Rufford Foundation, through the Discovery Channel, through Ex- Explorers Club, Foundation Assemble, Idea Wild White Foundation, European Union Government, different eastern adriatic governments, uh, multis uh, government or many different uh, stakeholders that we actually have so we are trying to be uh, as independent as possible because we believe that only independent science could obtain the high quality results that could, could lead to direct uh, advancement of the environment.
0: Yeah well I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm glad you actually mentioned governments in that in that long list of support there um, because without governments coming on board the whole Things lost, isn't it? It's it's. Um, so, t- taking the, the Mediterranean and and, without getting yourself in in any difficulty, is there any one particular country or government who are actually taking all this on board, and are saying yes, we have to
1: change? Yes, there are actually there are actually many. Especially on the Eastern Adriatic Sea, for example, there's a lot of uh, species that have to be protected in Slovenia, in, in Montenegro, in Albania, in Bosnia Bosnian coast as well. So, yes, there are governments that we actually try to work most closely with, and there are governments that already conducted uh, highly efficient conservation, like the Croatia, for example so we are developing different uh, regional and sub-regional action plans for certain species which are highly highly species specific and trying to link all those governments to create uh, sustainable solutions
0: right yeah okay you, you do a lot of lectures uh is that to colleges and schools or uh general theaters uh, i mean who do you lecture to mostly
1: uh, it's, it's really depend, dependable. Uh, I mostly lecture at the colleges, but I also work with the kids, for example, with National Geographic in past two years. I've I worked with almost uh, 20,000 kids for over 65 countries, so it's super exciting because I think that the kids are the proper age to start the conservation work with, but I also, I'm also highly, highly involved lecturing at, at different colleges, universities with the students and even both postgraduate and other, other graduates. Trying to actually um, empower the next generation of the planetary stewards, which is something that we really need at this moment.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting one, kids. Um, you know, lecturing to kids is very important because, I mean, they can't actually do very much, to be honest, except influence probably their parents. And I think that that does actually count for a fair bit. But um Yeah, but,
1: yeah, but actually they yeah, are the generations to come because the, the, the lecturers and, and especially those young age will stuck somewhere in their head and they are the actually generations that will hold this planet in maybe twenty years. So yeah, they are important to work with, not only to influence their parents about something that will happen today, but something that will happen in the future. They are, they are future policymakers, they are future scientists, they are future uh, different stakeholders. So yeah, it's important to work from early age. That's what most of us believe, so we focus on kids, especially pre-kindergarten or even the primary schools.
0: Right. I mean, they certainly are more susceptible to learning and, and to taking on board. My only worry is, of course, is that in 20 years' time, things are going to be drastically different. You know, by the time they get influenced, it's going to be too late.
1: Yeah, actually, we share the same worries, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. Well, yeah, but I've found in the past, where if ever I, I, I'm doing lectures or talks or anything, uh, I get two. Kinds of reactions overall generally. I mean, one, either I get a polite clap at the end, uh, or I get audiences who are really engaged and ask lots of questions and want to know more. Uh, which do you find it happens most to you uh, out of those two things? Well, or do you actually, always get good reactions?
1: You know, actually, luckily, yeah, over hundreds, over parts, hundreds of lectures, we have only the good reactions, but the thing is that a lot of people actually is interesting to learn more, to get somehow involved, but um, there's an issue with it because 90% of the, of the auditorium, which is eager to learn more or to get involved uh, got got quit like in maybe a few days. It's just because they heard the lectures, they got so empowered about making some positive changes, doing something good, and after five days it's all dropped down and Let's go to the beer. So it's happened to most of our students as well, because the students, uh, the student populations are quite interesting for something at the beginning. They see my photos all over the world. They see me diving with sharks. They see me in a fancy laboratories or something, which is actually not important at all because the results are important, but a vast majority of students also are interested in um, Having a cool photo radar of producing some high quality results, which actually needs you to sit at your computer like 12 hours a day, which I do every day when I'm not in the field or in labs. And that is one of the major major issues we have, uh, not only with the students, but with, with wider public as well. They got highly interested in you know, everything we speak, but after a couple of days or months, this enthusiasm goes rapidly down.
0: mm. mm. Are you um, are you still finding out new information about the shark shark family um, uh, regarding pollution? or are you just? Um, well, I say just. Are you are you confirming facts that you already knew?
1: No, no. We are, the eighty percent of our work is dedicated to the new data, and only twenty percent is dedicated to confirm. The studies we have published so far, or even to change our view on, on some issues. So about eighty percent is is focused on developing new technique, new models, new studies that, that will blow the specter of the knowledge we have.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you work? Do you work uh, alone, or are you you part of a team?
1: No, I, I'm leading three research teams of of. of hundred and twenty five scientists that work, but it means that it's a multi it's a large multidisciplinary team and to obtain such results we have wouldn't be possible without all the teams so whenever I discuss about my results, I always speak about my team and our results because we are we have a lot of different profiles the biologists patho biologists the biologists, veterinary toxicologists chemists even mathematicians. So, we are able to develop models and publish the results we have. Right, yeah. With all all of your
0: uh, results and when you're presenting it to uh, various groups um, or governments or whatever, do you allow yourself any emotions when when you're delivering all this or, or have you just got to stick exactly to the facts? and and not give your opinions, I mean... That...
1: Yeah, it's it's a hard one. Uh, most professional way will be actually to leave emotions by side, but I think that uh, no one who is passionate about receiving something could 100% leave the emotions behind. So uh, having our results uh, are based on 100% uh, professional skill with no emotion attached because what we publish is uh, based from the experiments and the studies that we have conducted in exclusively scientific terms. But when we are discussing certain uh, uh, legal changes, policy makers, then, then, uh, to be honest, we we quite often, uh, we are even sometimes forced to to include emotions because that's how we can um, fresh different uh, policy makers, because for most of them, the scientific uh, papers or the studies that we, have, that we publish actually doesn't mean a lot. And they are quite uh, unable to understand most of them because they are not scientists. So, yes, we, we, we sometimes approach with the emotions, even if we think that that, that that might be the best way to achieve the results, because um, uh, all our papers and everything would be just H index citations and something that drives the ego of a scientist. They won't be, um, they won't get any tangible effects without those policymakers. So yeah, no matter how hard it is to actually conduct a scientific study to publish it, which is actually extremely hard of course, it's equally important as to reach the policymakers to force them to make positive changes. So these are two different channels. That use different um, approaches, and I believe that having emotional approach in the policy making is quite um, it's quite good sometimes.
0: Yeah, well, that's good to hear. It's uh, I, I think uh, I think emotions are are an incredibly important part of it. If you just have yeah, facts you all, all the time it's it's just facts and it uh, it means nothing i mean because you know uh, fish marine mammals, all the rest of it sharks et cetera et cetera they, they all have the abilities to feel as we do you know all the pain the anxieties and everything else yes, of course. so so it's it's important not to ignore that um, so that's good i mean i i find now in in today 's um industrialized fishing uh you know whether it be whales or, or shrimps uh the consumer who actually drives all of this drives the pollution the fishing and everything else has totally lost any feeling or any empathy with marine life and it's such a difficult one to get over
1: um have you any thoughts on that Yes, actually, it's it's good that you mentioned empathy. It's because my work is quite a lot of related with empathy. That's why I forbid to catch and kill animals because I try to understand the uh, the value of each uh, certain life of individual, not only on the group like the population. So, um, yes, I, I also agree that that, that uh, larger industrialization, the anthropogenic pressures, the touristic seasons, everything that, that is related to actually the gain. Uh, is often related to the greed and lust as well. And the most of the people, the vast majority, that's at least my personal opinion, most, most of the people have lost completely the empathy, the ability to understand, and they uh, deny to think about these concerns because they only, the, the vast majority of people think is actually how to get money, how to get money, how to get money. And that, that's how we destroy everything else. But we don't, we don't focus on what will happen in, to our kids, for example, in the next 50 years. And most of the people actually don't think about it. And what I believe that all these changes in, in the environment, the pollution, the, the diseases that it causes, the species extinction caused by human activities is actually uh, everyone's fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. And it's, it, it, now it's the proper time to take take those changes to save what we can say. But I also think that people are quite uh, not welcoming it because they are quite more focused on the, themselves and only themselves. And, you know, the principle, the ecological between ego, but I think that most of the people are looking at the ego. That's why we have such bad situation on the planet. Because otherwise, if, if, if people try to live in sustainable development, in harmony, that we wouldn't have this... Uh, ten, this high impact on the ecosystems, especially some ecosystems that should be the pristine ecosystems and the world pristine is quite quite is losing in, in, in scientific terms because wherever you go, for example, in the oceans, you will find traces of pollution. So yeah the lack of empathy you- and understanding could, could be one of the maybe very, very important uh, leads for such situations that we have today. Yeah.
0: Out of the pollutions that you're um, you're finding uh, in in the shark family, uh, what what's the most pre- prevalent one? What's 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 most noticeable? Plastic. Plastic.
1: Plastic. Uh, plastic. sewage, heavy metals in certain areas. It's more waste, but plastic.
0: And that's ingested.
1: Yes, most of it. Yeah.
0: And. Is that is that really down to microscopic size now? Is it? Is, no, it, is it? No, no, it, it,
1: no. It's, it, it, it's 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 made by it can be the solid plastic that is stuck between the rug and, and the stomach, or it can be the microplastic or even nanoplastics. It depends on what you see, but you will find all three all three types of plastics.
0: Right. Yes, indeed. And with that <laughs> with that information, it always amazes me how fish is still sold as a good healthy diet you know anything from the sea uh now has to have quite a high pollution factor in one way or another and yet advertisers fish producers whatever are still allowed by law to totally ignore that fact
1: actually it's quite it's it's a difficult one because having the plastic inside uh doesn't necessarily mean it's unhealthy because there are there are the POPs which stand for the persistent organic pollutants that often bind to the microplastics that are severely carcinogenic toxical etc but it's have to be proved that's why these um that's why the laws actually uh, allows such such statements because it's quite uh, hard to link certain diseases with certain pollution although we know that everything is that there's a there's um Beautiful image. It's it's extremely sad, but it's it's uh, illustrate the the current st- state of the, of the plastic pollution on the fish market. The girl buying a, a fish and she asked, "May I have a plastic bag, please?" And the fisherman said, "It's already inside." And that's one of the saddest images that you can find online and it's it, it's quite true, but uh, to, to, to to be able to link these, these plastic and the, the POPs and other pollution with the diseases, it is quite a different thing and it's quite harder. So yes, it's, it's a load and it's quite hard for me also to say, is it toxic or not? I get these questions quite often and it's quite hard to, to have to have the answer without proper scientific results in the background. So what I aim to say is that we found a lot of the severe amounts of pollution inside the, the different parts of digestive systems. We, uh, we are observing changes in the liver, brain, kidney, et cetera, that we are trying to liquid the pollution and we are in the way to be able actually to, to, to make such safe statements.
0: Yeah. Andre, okay, it's been, um Brilliant talking to you. Uh, fascinating uh, what you were saying. Thank you for that. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're very busy. Uh, but just forget, what, what's your, uh, when are you back in the water? When are you diving again? And and what are you diving with?
1: Well, uh, I really do hope that uh, by the end of May, because I just returned for one field expedition from the waters of Croatia and Bosnia from Molostovski and Dubrovnik, I'm just hoping that I will be able to go uh, for another one by the end of the month. Uh, there's a beautiful expedition that I try to work with the torpedo, with the Malbert Mar- Mar- electric race, the torpedo race, and with the sting race. And uh, my, my diving is quite different with than the other dives, especially the, the sport diving because I dive only during the night, uh, just a couple of minutes after the midnight, and I go in the mud where the vis- visibility is often less than half meter. I'm always all alone there with around 100 kilos of equipment trying to record take samples etc and uh i'm not diving on the reefs or some blue lagoon so most people imagine i'm spent 90 percent of my studies deep in the mud
0: (laughs) (laughs) you've just taken the glamour out of diving (laughs) (laughs) ah well look, look i i wish you all success um and really all all success and um Uh, I'll I'll, we'll stop there, but once again, thank you very much.
1: Uh, Thank you. It was such a pleasure to discuss with you today.
0: Uh, Cool. Thanks now. Bye-bye. Thanks,
1: man.